Podcast of the cinema. <laughs> Take two. Yeah. How's that working for you? You, Dave White. Y'all will never hear Take One. It's lost to history. <sighs> and we, it was fine. It was fine. I just had this whole thing where it sounded like we were yelling, but we weren't. And now you're under yelling, and yes. everything's great. This is such a great day. It's our 12th. It's our 12th, 12th anniversary. And that's why we're sullen and angry. <laughs> because the show, no. it's a 12-year-old show, so it's being a big, real brat today. Um, it's our 12th anniversary. <laughs> it is. Of being a podcast. You, Dave White, and me, Alonzo Duraldi, have been doing this podcast for 12 12 years. years at this and one other dining room table. Yeah. Like, not a different dining room table in a different location. No, just a different actual a, table. A different actual table. I mean, we've... we've it's a fascinating... We've, we've taken it Historical on the, yes. detail. We've taken it on the road a few times. We, we Where? Recorded, what, what, at Atlanta. What? We recorded a couple there. Oh, we did, didn't we? And at Robert and Marky's house. I have no memory of this. Uh, there's a table. There's a picture of us sitting at their kitchen table doing this podcast. You sure about that? Positive. Really? Yes. Uh, we went and did it at our friend Chris's house at the... Uh, uh, Long Beach Museum of Art, uh, or the Long Beach Contemporary, whatever it is you call it. Oh yeah, because it was, it was the, so freaking hot, we needed air, air conditioning. We needed his AC. So you know, every so often we 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 incredibly rarely. Yes. Yeah. A, a small fraction of this the is a podcast program. that takes place at this dining room. Yes, table. yes, it is. Uh, we're both film critics for the Rap. Um. What else? Oh yeah, we're married. You're married. I ho- I co-host other podcasts. Yeah. And uh, as of this week, I'm a member of the National Society of Film Critics. But anyway. Uh, hey! Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait. Alonzo Duralde has been voted in to the National Society of Film Critics. Yes. And that... Thank you. ...is lovely. And I have said that you deserve it. For a very long time. <laughs> well, I, you kind of had to. No. Uh, on a, I, okay. Stop right there. <laughs> this is true. You're right. I ain't got to do anything. That's true. That's and true. would not have. Who, who uh, are you? The, who, who is the person that you are always saying is so mean to you <laughs> when I'm reading your copy before you publish it, it's true. on the rap it's, website. It is you who is mean. It is me. I'm the one who's mean to you <laughs> by being a rigorous editor of your work. Yes. And so, if I thought you were full of, I would give you a nice hug, and I would say, "Oh, I'm sorry, baby. They didn't let you into National Society." They're dumb. But no, they did. They did. 
so they aren't dumb. There we go. Good thing they let you in, or they would have all been dumb. Uh, Every single last member. And they, they, would, they would cower to hear your opinion, because you're so famously mean. <laughs> what I want to know is who didn't vote for you. Okay. I need those names. Like, who were the stragglers? Does, who were the naysayers? Does it, does who matter? were the... Obviously, they were the minority because you're in. But who who didn't vote for you? <laughs> who do I need to have you know what? disappeared? They didn't get their way. So it doesn't... They, they're, they're suffering enough by knowing that I'm single-handedly <laughs> oh, ruining no. the reputation of this August organization. <laughs> Some of you listening may ask, Dave White, why aren't you a member of any film critics groups? I will tell you, I have never applied to be a member of any film critic group. You don't like meetings. I don't, don't want to go to meetings. Um, don't want to vote on things. Don't want to pay dues to an organization. Just don't want to. Don't want to do any of that. And like, who's to say that I would automatically get into anything anyway? If I if I applied to Los, to Los Angeles, let's say I applied to Los Angeles Film Critics Association, doesn't mean I'm going to get in. No, it's doesn't mean doesn't mean anybody thinks I'm worth a dang. I would or have worth, to, or worth even one heck. I would have to leave the room for such a vote. So <laughs> no, you would vote for me. No, they would literally tell me to leave the room. They would not. They would. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it doesn't come up a lot. There aren't a lot of spousal film critics yeah, out there. Has it ever come up? As, as it ever? has not. But I think, it, I think they, that would be the deal. Yeah. There's no good. There's no. There is no saying that I would get in in the first place. But I'm not going to uh, find out ever because I'm never going to apply. You win by never trying. <laughs> Who's the smart one now? Me. Just don't want to. <laughs> I got a, a, a text. Uh, yes. <clears throat> not a text. A DM. Ooh. Oh, someone slid in your DM? Yeah. Somebody slid into my DMs Ooh. on Twitter uh, and asked a question that I had not really considered uh, answering or even explaining to anybody, even though it's been a, a thing that's been happening for quite some time now. Is it, have you renewed your car's warranty? Yeah. I said, what car? <laughs> what uh, What was the question? Why do we record linoleum knife midweek now? Yeah. Because if you're a longtime listener, you know that for years and years and years and years, like clockwork, we were on Sundays. Yes. And then the pandemic came. Yes. And time stopped meaning anything. Everything went cattywampus. Um, and, and two things happened. Uh, Duralde Family Zoom yes. <laughs> started uh, happening on Sunday afternoons, which is when we were normally recording Linoleum Knife. Yeah. The Duralde Family... They began Zooming each other as a group, and there are a lot of them, every Sunday afternoon. And then came the vaccine. 
And they just kept doing it. <laughs> and then came the boosters. And the Delta variant and the Omicron variant. And then those went away. And now life is fairly back to normal-ish, kind of, sort of. They just kept doing the family Zoom on Sunday afternoons. They enjoy each other's company so much that they just want to keep Zooming each other on Sunday <laughs> afternoons. I'm not saying that this is a wrong or bad thing. I participate most of the time. Yes. Unless I'm busy making Sunday dinner. Yes. But even if I am busy you say, making Sunday you've been, dinner. You've been known to chop a vegetable. I have sat at the table and just chopped vegetables for an hour while they all talk. Yeah. Um, but here's another thing. And this is the actual real reason why. Um. I have discussed this already so many times that people are sick of it, but I have arthritis in both hips now. And I'm due for a replacement, hip replacement surgery in the early part of 2023. But until then, it has really limited my ability to navigate spaces out in the world where screenings take place. Yeah. Um, for is a great example. You are going to a screening tonight, a press screening of The Menu. Yes. Is that what it's called? The Menu. You're going to see The Menu tonight. When's that open? Uh, next Friday? Next Friday. Like a week from Friday? That screening is on the Fox lot. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't live in Los Angeles, and for those of you who are not film critics who go to press screenings on the Fox lot, or the Disney lot, or the Warner Brothers lot, or the Universal lot, or any other lot, how many other lots are there? Are there any other Sony. lots? Sony. Sony. There's, oh man, Sony. <laughs> There's the, the Rally, the yeah. Rally Studios. So each studio has press, has press screenings that take place on the lots, on the studio lots. Paramount does it Paramount as well. And to get to those screening rooms requires parking in a big parking lot, not close. <laughs> To where the screening room is. Walking across, you know, a long expanse of studio lot to get to the screening room. Sometimes it's closer than other places, but sometimes it's a hike. And there are, you know, I, I will say there are definitely uh, accessibility issues with all of these. Raleigh is the worst. And here's, Raleigh is the worst. Here's what happens at the Raleigh studios. Um, you got to go to their parking structure which is across the street from the lot. Then you got to walk all the way across the the entire length of the lot. And then their screening room in the building that you finally get into is upstairs and their elevator is always broken. Always. Always. Never is it fixed. It is never working. And so I I can't do it. I know the Fox lot has made accommodations for people. Like we've had friends who broke their leg or something. Yeah. And they were able to get a parking space close to the screening room mm-hmm. as opposed to having to park in the big parking lot and schlep all the way over. Yeah. But even then, even once you're in the room, you have to deal with those seats. Once you get in the room, sometimes the seats are functional for a person in my situation. And sometimes they just aren't. Yeah. So I have a few movie theaters in town that are really easy for me to navigate. Right. The Grove, 
the Sunset Five, mm-hmm. the Lemley Royal, yeah, the New Art. If whoever's driving can just drop me off in front of the <laughs> building, right. um, but otherwise, some theaters themselves are hard for me to deal with. So I take each place on a case by case basis, and so tonight you're going to the Fox Lot. I can't deal with the Fox Lot. Right. It's too. It's too labyrinthine to 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 get from where I need to be to, to the seat. So for us to both talk about the menu will require you to... Going to see it at a... Th- so here's when what happens. Opens. The film's now open on Friday. I use my AMC Stubbs... Uh, what's the top... Membership. Plus, what's the plus level? Uh, A-list. The a- I'm an A-lister with <laughs> AMC Stubbs. And um, I, I head on out and I... And I use my 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 A list stub ticket blah blah thing, and I go to places where I can easily get myself physically into a seat. Yeah, with my little cane. It's not a little cane. It's no. you know regular size. Regular sized cane. Um, and so that means I'm watching movies on Friday. I'm watching movies on Saturday. I'm watching movies on Monday or Tuesday. So we wind up doing this show now, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesday, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah. After my hip replacement surgeries, I will be able to return to press screenings anywhere I like. There you go. And I will. Uh, but until then, uh, I would like to thank everybody for being patient with the fact that this show now records midweek. Yeah. There's just no other way I can deal with getting to the films that need to be gotten to. Uh, and that's that on that. Everything this week I watched on a screener, mm. <laughs> on a screening link. So that was helpful. Well, and at least two of the movies we're talking about are currently streaming for folks to watch at home themselves. Yeah. So, um, let's begin mm-hmm. with the one that I reviewed for The Wrap yes. this week. Salvatore, Shoemaker of Dreams. Dreammaker of Shoes. Uh, anybody been... Uh, to a Ferragamo uh, boutique. Anybody out there own a pair of Salvatore Ferragamo shoes? Are you that fancy? <laughs> Maybe you are. I mean, could happen. Maybe you'd have no idea who this person is. <laughs> but Salvatore Ferragamo, say that name properly. Salvatore Ferragamo was born in 1898. In uh, a little village in Italy, he was the 11th son, the 11th child of 14 kids, farm family. And um, he was obsessed as a little, little child with the cobbler who had a shop on their street. And he would just go watch the cobbler. Make shoes. Now, being the cobbler in a village was not a high prestige job. You were not a big status, you know, uh, member of the community. It was considered sort of craftsman, it, artisanal, trade, you know. trade, a trade. Yeah. You know. uh, the, tradi- the 
original meaning of artisan as opposed to now when it means like, you know, mm-hmm. overpriced. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, this bread is artisanal? Ooh. That will be $17, please. <laughs> For half a loaf. <laughs> the bachelor loaf. <laughs> he was obsessed. So obsessed that he just decided he was going to learn how to make shoes. Mm. When he was nine years old, he made shoes for his two sisters' uh, first communion. I don't know how good these shoes were, (laughs) but he made them. At age 10, he announced to his family, I'm going to Naples to study shoemaking. And they said, Okay. (laughs) There's 13 more here. We won't miss you. (laughs) He struck out at age 10 to Naples to learn how to make shoes. Stayed there for a while. This documentary... In 1908, 10-year-olds working was not a... That's the other thing. (laughs) Paradigm. In in, in 1908, a 10-year-old with a job was just seen as... A 10-year-old. A 10-year-old with a job. And uh, this documentary by Luca Guadagnino. Guadagnino. I said Guadagnino. No. Just now, I did. Guadagnino. 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 Yeah. Okay, stop it. (laughs) I got corrected on this because for years I was saying Guadagnino, and it's Guadagnino. I I didn't say Guadagnino. I know, I know, but I'm just saying now I'm... I'm trying. Carry on. (laughs) He's got one more movie this year, so get ready for it. I know. Um, Where was I? Okay. This documentary. He doesn't explain where he lived (laughs) while he was (laughs) in Naples. At age 12, he returned home to his little village where he uh, established a shop of his own. He Beat it, cobbler. He employed an assistant who was seven. <laughs> I'm not making any of this up. Of course up. not. <laughs> he did that for a few years. At 17, he said, you know what? I'm going to the United States. That seems like a fun place. Off I go. It was 1915. He goes to, he gets it, he gets to Ellis Island. He goes to where his brothers are in Boston. His brothers have already gone ahead of him and work in a shoemaking factory in Boston. He gets to Boston. He sees the mass production techniques, turns up his nose at this and says, nope, I'm going to do things my way. I'm getting on a train and I'm going to California. Gets on a train. It's the place I ought to be. Yeah. Gets on a train thinks, this Santa Barbara sounds nice, winds up in Santa Barbara. Well, it turns out Santa Barbara is where the silent film industry was uh, located. They had not yet really... uh, Hollywood hadn't become a thing. Happened quite exactly yet the way we understand it today. Goes on to a set. He says, I see you have... I see you need boots. (laughs) I'll make boots for you. (laughs) They said... You mean you'll do it here? Because we've been doing, we've been getting them from another town in California. And when they, when the shoes arrive 
on set, sometimes they don't fit and sometimes they're bad. And Salvatore Ferragamo said, they will fit and they will be good. And they said, great, we'll pay you more than we're paying these people. So he did it. He began making boots for Westerns. Pretty much every major silent film that you see, he made the shoes for. Wow. <laughs> then, silent film stars, Mary Pickford, Lillian Gish, were like, hey, would you make me some shoes? He said, sure. <laughs> he begins making custom shoes for what is emerging as a job that has never existed before. A movie star. Right. Side note. During this period of his life, D.W. Griffith sponsored a Who's Got the Sexiest Legs contest. <laughs> oh, did he? Well, D.W. Griffith, Griffith liked a lady with nice legs. Okay. And, Gams, you, could, and you could just have a contest back then. For sure. And who's got the pretty legs? And women would, would enter this contest. Turns out the the first prize was a six-month contract with D.W. Griffith. Mm. Salvatore Ferragamo was uh, tasked with making the shoes for uh, the winner Mm -hmm. because you were also judged on your ankles. Wow. And you needed a nice pair of shoes to show those off. Mr. Ferragamo was also given the uh, the honor of selecting first runner-up. Oh. So D.W. Griffith chose, I'm blanking on the name of who the woman was that got the six-month uh, acting contract with D.W. Griffith. But Salvatore Ferragamo chose the first runner-up because he thought she looked the best. Her name was Joan Crawford. <laughs> <laughs> Was it Joan Crawford or was it Lucille Lesur? She, she might have still been Lucille at that point yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in her in her life, because <laughs> she, she was a dancer. Oh yeah, um, she shook her shimmy. Our dancing daughters. <laughs> I um, I love this movie <laughs> because every detail of his life, from say birth <laughs> until death. death. Is fascinating. He made shoes for every movie star. You get you see these shots in the film. There's so much archival footage and and uh, uh, you know photography. It's a very it's very much a, a traditional doc form. There's lots of talking heads, but the talking heads are Martin Scorsese talking about the birth of Hollywood and mm-hmm. and his you know uh, uh, you know. Uh, his countryman, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, Ferragamo. You've got, you've got costume uh, designers. You've got uh, fashion historians. You've got contemporary footwear superstars, mm. Manolo Blahnik, Christian Louboutin, who are all like, he is the master, <laughs> he is the king, and and nobody who you would just say is sort of like a a fashion person of the moment right. being like, Oh, I just love his shoes. You yeah. know, like that doesn't. Sure. It's like Grace Coddington is here to give you Grace Coddington yeah. context. Now, a lot of docs and narratives about fashion houses 
you know, they, they they always they sort of get to that moment where like, and then we sold the name to whoever, and they started slapping it on to hell. T-shirts and keychains. Yeah, no, this is not House of Gucci. This is um, also a story about the Ferragamo family because you also get these interviews with his who, and they still run the business. They right? still run the show. Those children, the grandchildren, the nephews, the mm. name it. Like his wife, Wanda ran the business from the 60s until her death. And so she was, eh, I don't know how much younger she was than mm-hmm. he was uh, at the time that they were married, but she lived until like 20, the 20-teens, I think. Like wow. she lived a really long time. Um, and because this is official, you know, this is the official story. Right. You know, it's got the family, not only endorsed the by the family. Yeah. It's not just endorsed by the family. It's, you know, with the participation sure. of the Ferragamo family. Um, you know, you're not going to hear a bad word about this guy. And you know what? Fine. I don't care. <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> I just want to know what he did. I want to know all the innovations that he made in the world of shoemaking. And he did. Like, yeah. he enrolled in USC, again, age 19 or something <laughs> to study human anatomy just so he could make the shoes comfortable because up to that point people hadn't really thought much about making shoes comfortable <laughs> did you say he invented the he arch support basically invented arch support like wow. it, it it the dude was not just an artistic visionary because he made all these really gorgeous you know uh, uh shoes throughout the history of the 20th century but he utilized the materials that he had on hand, like he dealt with Mussolini, because mm. <laughs> he was back in Italy by then. Right. He went back to Italy just as Mussolini was coming to power, and he was like, "Oh, there's a shortage of leather. Well, what do I do?" You know, like he would, he would, he he invented, mm. um, you know, the rainbow platform that was so, you know, popular particularly in the 70s. He invented it in 19... He made it in 1938. Wow. Uh, uh, reportedly for Judy Garland. Hmm. With this rainbow heel. Big right. platform. Well, you know, because she was like four foot ten. Right. You know, with this big giant platform shoe for her to walk on. And everything about this documentary is delicious. <laughs> uh, you get to see all the shoes. I mean, not enough. You get more history than you get shoe, shoe, shoe. Sure. Um, but it is, if 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 there is, you know, n- negative stuff to learn about the Ferragamo business or family, you'll have to go somewhere else. <laughs> That's not what we're doing here. This is a love letter as a, as a doc goes, right. you know. Um, and it is... You know, you want to you want it to be true. You know, like there's a a, a line in the film um, where Wanda, the wife, mm-hmm. famously described him with I the highest, like the most the highest most loving compliment you could ever give a person that you're married to. She said, "He's as good as bread." Wow, hard bread. <laughs> She, she qualified it with a little, you know, ellipsis after that. Hard bread. Hard bread. He's as good as bread. Don't you want that to be on your gravestone? Like, <laughs> that's a great. Epitaph. He was as good as bread. Yeah, that's what you want. I hope it's true. 
The documentary seems to, to believe it is, and I, now I believe it. <laughs> uh, it's playing in art houses. Yeah. Uh, Sony Classics. Uh, it'll, Sony it Classics has it. If you're in Los Angeles, it's at the Royal right now. Um, it'll be streaming like lickety split before yeah, you know yeah. it. Um, and, and Guadagnino, um, you know, was a journalist before he was a filmmaker. He was right. a film critic. So, right. like, you know, this is, you know, he knows what he's doing in terms of, like, storytelling and interviews and that kind of thing. Hey. Hey. Why don't you talk about the movie called My Policeman? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I, I keep thinking about how this movie is bar, has a lot of sort of structural similarities to a movie I really like this year called Benediction. Yes. Uh, but it's not nearly as good as Benediction. It, um, it is. It is not. But talk about what it is, where it comes from. Sure. Who, all those things. This is a British movie. It is... Uh, Directed by Michael Grandage. Michael Grandage, who did a film that I really did not care for called Genius, about um, yeah. a, a, a legendary book editor, Max Perkins. Yeah. Um, but written by Ron Nieswanner, who did the Philadelphia screenplay. Yes. Based on a novel. And it is a, a film that is set in the 50s and in... What I was unclear what the current moment was, but you astutely pointed out being 1999, 1999. because somebody references an artwork that we're all supposed to know about <laughs> Dave White. I'm just saying this. Okay. Can we just pause for just a moment uh, to, yeah. to give me my... To bask in your glow. No, yes. not to bask in my glow, but just to, <laughs> like, I'm just going to explain how I knew this thing. Okay. And I'm not... I Listen... <laughs> You're getting you're you're real jazzy about this. You behave. I'm jazzy to you in private. In public, I will simply say this. Okay. Sometimes I know things. It's true. Sometimes you You're going to blame me for knowing things? No you're not. How dare you? Yeah. All right. The film stars Harry Styles, yes, Emma Corrin, yes. Uh, Gina McKee. Uh, uh, David Dawson, mm -hmm. Rupert Everett, and Linus Roach. Yes. Now, six people. Three characters. Three characters. Three of them play the, the 1999 versions. Three of them play the 1957 versions. Okay. At the beginning of the film, we see Gina McKee taking care of Rupert Everett, who has had a stroke, and Gina McKee's husband, Linus Roach, is he upset about is this. not happy. Because they've moved the person, they've moved the guy into their home to take care of him. You learn why over the course of the film, who these people are, etc. What they mean to each other. But before all that takes place, Gina McKee sits down at the bedside of Rupert Everett and says, oh, look, it says here in the newspaper that a young woman was nominated for the Turner Prize. Now, the Turner Prize is a very well-known British art prize. I say well-known. Well-known to me and people who give a heck about that sort of thing. I know what it is. In 1999, the young woman that was nominated for the Turner Prize, and Gina McKee goes on to say, she made a sculpture of a bed, and it's unmade. Imagine that. People are talking about it. I'd like to go see it. The minute she said that, I thought, oh, that's Tracy Eamon. That's Tracy Eamon, and the sculpture is My Bed. That's the name of it. And, and it is not just 
uh, something that I happen to know. Uh, but it's thematically embedded in this story as well, because Tracy Eamon's work is very autobiographical, or at least at that time it was, when she was new and she came along in the 90s. It was new, it was very personal, very intimate. That bed in the sculpture was her bed. And it was all these other things around the bed that were, you know, evocative of her life as a sexually active young woman and the men she, you know, uh, was occasionally involved with and, you know, how she cared for herself in that time, you know, of her life. So the story of that sculpture is the story of intimacy in a bed. Gotcha. And who gets to be in that bed and who gets to see that bed and who gets to see that bed in the state that it is in, in the sculpture. Okay. We're using the word sculpture here as the way like Duchamp would. This is a ready-made sculpture. Yes. Okay. Look, so, if nobody drives by a marquee with a movie title that I can look at and I remember know. what year it came out, I know. I can't be expected to know, I know but when we're dealing with I it. I heard you talking to Christy about it, and you are like, I don't know what year it's supposed to be. And I was like, oh, I don't, okay. And I sat down to watch the film, and the minute they said, my bed, I was like, oh, Tracy Eamon. And I looked it up. And I was like, okay, well, that's 1999. That's when she was nominated for the Turner Prize okay. for my bed. That's all. That's all I'm saying. All right. I'm not trying to be cooler than you. Okay. I mean, I'm just trying to tell you that I know some things. And right. I should be uh, 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 respected for knowing these well, things. Well, yay you. Yeah, yay me. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, Gina McKee is taking care of Rupert Everett. Linus Roach is not happy about it. And then come the flashbacks. And in the 50s... Uh, Emma Corrin plays the younger version of Gina McKee's character. Harry Styles is the younger uh, Linus Roach, and they meet. Uh, they're uh, introduced by a mutual friend. They seem to hit it off rather quickly. He teaches her to swim. There's a, a, a young budding romance there. And then, uh, you know, Harry Styles is a policeman. And one day he says, so this guy uh, who came forward as a witness in a case, uh, we've become friends. He's a curator at this museum. He's offered us a tour. We should go. So they go and they take the tour from David Dawson's character, who is playing the young uh, Rupert Everett. And, you know, at first it, we get this notion that um, Emma Corrin's character and David Dawson's character are connecting on this whole level that Harry Styles can't keep up with. Their talks about art and music and you know sophisticated subjects may i just interrupt here for a moment when they when they're in the museum in fact every scene of these three going off and doing something you know cultural mm. caused me to laugh out loud because <laughs> they're in this art museum and they're staring at a at a painting and emma corin says astonishing and David Dawson turns to her and says, exactly. And I thought, I'm going to punch you both in the face. Isn't that how you art people talk? Yes, that is exactly how we talk. <laughs> um, then you see them go into a, a recital, uh, uh, classical music. Yeah. And Harry Styles is performing boredom with his head, <laughs> head in his hand, <laughs> and his arm, his elbow on the armrest, just being... Like a four-year-old who's upset that he's I'm been bored. Yeah, like, 
And then, like, they, they go to the opera, and he reportedly falls asleep. Um, and they talk about, you know, how coarse he is, and he burps, and he has no manners, and he doesn't know he how to be... drinks beer. Doesn't know how to be fancy. And I was like, I'm sorry. That guy? <laughs> <laughs> this guy? Yeah. This matinee idol? That here? rough and tumble creature of the streets, Harry Styles. <laughs> The, the the indicating going on in these scenes is hilarious mm. and the missed the miscast uh, uh situation going on here with mr styles i don't begrudge him his need to be an actor his desire to be an actor he's i would say his performance in don't worry darling is good it, I, I don't. I don't find him embarrassing in either of these movies. I just feel like. But he is either being directed to a performance that is not right for him, or he's been cast as a character that is not right for him. I haven't quite figured it well, out yet. I, I think. But he, I want you to keep going with the story. He is. He is. I think he needs to be in like a spice world of his own because yeah. you put him next to Florence Pugh or Emma Corrin, and it's like, oh, you're. This is not one of these things. Just doesn't belong, you know. And that's not his fault. Like uh, you know, the, the, those are the. the All right, I'm going to say some more before you. Okay. Before you keep going with the story. I believe that he will unlearn the pop star moves mm. that he has, probably that are in his DNA. Sure, not even conscious. There are scenes in this film where he is so bright and so winning that you think, I'm sorry, but you're a coarse, ill-mannered policeman? No, you're not. Look at your hair. <laughs> you are you are giving off just radiance. You are a guy who is should be on the stage at Wembley Stadium. Performing for forty thousand people in a couture gown. Yeah, like you. There yeah, is, it, it, it's. I you're mean, yes. not. It's wrong that you are here. If being this guy if, right if this now. were like the Mike Lee version, you would yeah. have somebody like a David Thewlis playing the policeman. And somebody. You, you are not getting that here, and that is granted. It is not Harry Styles' fault. No, that he's cast in this film, and I do. Like I say, I believe that in the. As time goes on and he desires to be in more films, he will get the the moves down of playing a character. Mm. Um, or wisely, you know, cue to characters who are more like he is. Mm. I don't know. And he's, he needs to call Colin Farrell. Well, sure. And be like, all right, teach me your wisdom. Yes. You know what I mean? Help me find my path, Sensei. Yeah. Anyway, so so because you know Emma Corrin and David Dawson are hitting it off so much, and and Harry Styles is sort of like you know slack jawed off to the side, you're thinking, oh, is this a love triangle? Are the two of them going to wind up together? And then of course the big you know da 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 here is that actually the whole time 
Harry Styles and David Dawson have been a couple. They've been stepping out. They've well, they've, they've been stepping been, in. They've been carrying on. Um, and you know they and, got themselves in too deep. But Harry Styles <laughs> is basically trying to hook in Emma Corrin to be the beard because yep. it's the fifties, and you right. know, just a, any whiff of gayness just gets you sent right to jail in uh, in the UK. And in the U.S. and in a lot of other places. And so so we go back and forth between, like, what happened between the three of them then and what's happening between them now. And that's an intriguing story and one with a lot of possibilities. But what's annoying is that the movie is clearly crafted to have these sort of, like, reveals along the way. But because you're not entirely sure about what's happening in what order and who knew what when it it diminishes the impact of like things that you either saw coming a mile away or assumed had already happened but hadn't you know i I think that's where a a lot of where this kind of loses its power uh it's very polite it's a very polite film Mm. particularly when you think about the subject matter and the way that these three people are using and ruining each other. Yeah. Um, uh, ha- ha- causing harm yeah. to each other. And like victim hits harder and they made it 60 years ago. Yeah. Um, you, there's so much like quiet, easy uh, uh, resignation and forgiveness happening. Yeah. That you think, really? Isn't there you a massive betrayal happening You didn't here? go through, like, even a little bit of, like, fury, rage, you know. Well, like, and some acting out does occur. Yes, but, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> there is there's a, a, a woman who is wronged and one man whose life is completely destroyed. And the film is... Just this muted version of that. Mm. Having said that, it's set in 1957 and everything looks amazing. <laughs> As I was watching it, I just from across the room, I hear everything looked great and was terrible. <laughs> uh, I always love Gina McKee in yes. pretty much anything. Yes. Um, I, I got to sit you down and show you the Blackwater Lightship if you haven't watched it. Still that. haven't seen Blackwater Lightship. Oh, my God. She's so good. I, uh, but, it, but I would say that if this were uh, the olden times when Hallmark Hall of Fame meant something, this would be a Hallmark Hall of Fame kind of film. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's gorgeously period, uh, if that's your thing, and it's definitely a thing for me. I love it. Um and I find, uh, uh, I think Harry Styles is a very appealing on screen. Mm-hmm. He could be a movie star. I just need him in the right stuff, yeah. right? To be in the right mm-hmm. films. Uh, I think Emma Corrin is really cool. I know that they were on The Crown. Right. And Which... I didn't, I have not watched The Crown. I want to watch The Crown. I just never have we watched started The Crown. season one and then just yeah, sort of season didn't... one, I watched one episode. I was like, this is great. Look at how good everything looks. <laughs> and then I didn't keep going. Um, the uh, I'm, I'm glad to see Rupert Everett in something 
worthy of him because mm. I don't think he's gotten a fair shake. Uh, he is of that generation, I think, that... Well, he was out before it was cool. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like, like you know, people we know, like Craig Chester and Guinevere Turner have talked about how they sort of like, you know, they, they saw subsequent generations really get rewarded for coming out, whereas they paid a price for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this movie is okay. Yeah, it's... And occasionally, occasionally... Lovely and occasionally irritating as hell. I, I would I would say you know watch watch Benediction and Victim instead perhaps if you've <laughs> never seen Victim yeah which is from 1960 61, 61 I think yeah then by all means that is cinema history that is queer cinema history please uh, do yourself a favor and watch Victim if you have not yet seen Benediction which is from earlier this uh, year this year. It is one of my, still, one of my favorite films of the year. Same here. And it is equally about the destruction caused by the closet. Yeah. Not just for the person who is closeted, but the, but the people around them who are, you know, sort of taken along as collateral damage. Exactly. And it has characters that you see as, you know, sort of as young people and then later in life. And it is streaming on Hulu. Yeah. So that's a Terrence Davis film. Yeah. Terrence Davis makes perfect films. <laughs> and so it's called Benediction. Yeah. Uh, those are two high recommendations. For sure. This is, you know, check it out, I guess, if you, you maybe you want to, you know, see some really lovely clothes. It's all, and it's the, a lot of cars and so those such seaside. good Brighton. Brighton area here <laughs> cliffs and the ocean <laughs> that you know we're raving about the inanimate objects at right. this point okay uh weird oh and it's by the way my my policeman is streaming on prime video it is uh weird which is streaming on uh, Roku channel is uh the weird al yankovic biopic and because weird al yankovic has built a career out of parodying other songs naturally his biopic is basically a parody of other biopics um mostly in, rock in the, in the walk hard vein yes definitely but but even goofier uh, yeah even and, and also not exclusively just rock movies but, right. but certainly a lot of, there's a lot and, of that and unlike walk hard it's based on a real person and nothing is true <laughs> yes no it's one lie after another uh which is you know and it, so it's great in the closing song where he says that it, this is absolutely a hundred percent true also this song qualifies for oscar consideration <laughs> um yeah so you know it's, it's it's the early years of bitter struggle the 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 father who doesn't understand him um his as christy pointed out i i, I caught his it. real life parents gave him the accordion and encouraged him to follow his dreams yes. that is exactly what happened but not in this movie <laughs> uh julianne nicholson plays his mother who of course also played the mother of marilyn monroe in blonde and right. then christy reminded me that toby huss who plays his father also played the makeup artist in right. Blonde. right um so yeah so uh you know and and, and you know the Polka is an instrument of teenage rebellion in this movie. Yeah. You know, the polka parties and whatnot. Um, he kind of, uh, you know, the, the, I love, I, I swear, if I ever teach film again, I'm showing the My Bologna scene. Yeah. Because the scene in which he is inspired to write his first hit song, My Bologna, is such a brilliant 
parody of every stupid biopic you've ever seen about an artist yeah. where all the inspirations come just clanging down on their head and they have this eureka moment. Uh, it is, it, it, it really just, I, I can't stop thinking about how funny that scene is because I've seen it done with a straight face in so many film not very good movies. Film after film after film, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, of course, he becomes a huge success and then Madonna enters his life <laughs> and she turns him into an alcoholic and eventually they run afoul of Pablo Escobar. Like, it's nuts, this movie. And it's it gets a little draggy toward the end where it's like, okay, we get it. But it's, it is so, for the most part, like, makes the laughs happen very consistently. There's a great scene early on uh, that's it's it's the I've heard it's actually the same house as the Boogie Nights pool party. Uh, oh, that's funny. Where where yeah, I, I wondered about that because <laughs> when I, I knew that they were doing the Boogie Nights pool party yeah. sequence, they were they were goofing on that. Um, if it's not the it, same house, it's definitely the same. You know, I hope it's the same vibe. House. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his mentor, Doctor Demento, invites him to a pool party, whose guests include like. Kiwi Herman and Divine. And in, in character. In character. Yeah. People playing these people. Elvira, Salvador Dali, yeah. Andy Warhol. Uh, he is challenged by Wolfman Jack and that guy from Queen <laughs> who introduces himself and nobody knows who he is because he's not Freddie Mercury uh, to come up with a parody of uh, Another One Bites the Dust and of course on the spot cranks out another one rides the bus. Right. Um, yeah, it's a, it is a silly movie. Daniel Radcliffe is totally committed to the bit as Weird Al Yankovic with the hair and the glasses and the mustache yeah. and the Hawaiian shirts. It is exceedingly silly and I, I really am glad I saw it. I, um, yeah, I love this. Uh, <laughs> and I've never really cared about Weird Al's music. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I think we're a little old to have been like, you know, super into him. Weird Al came along, the first I remember <laughs> of Weird Al was My Bologna. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's already like what eighty two. Yeah, and I remember thinking, I'm sorry, who is this guy? <laughs> and then you know, I lost on Jeopardy. I remember, and then I lost on Jeopardy, and then Eat It. Yep. And I remember watching the Eat It video on MTV and thinking, I I don't like this. <laughs> I'm 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 irritated by this. And that has sort of been my reaction to his music for most of his career until recently. I would say in the past 10 years or so. I'm He's not, become a comedy elder statesman. That is that is correct. So our friend Nathan Rabin has written multiple books, books about, about Weird Al. Yeah. What I've come to understand in the past decade or so is that irritation is part of his... Uh, act yeah and that i don't have to like his music but i really like him i'm really glad that he's in the world i'm really glad that he does what he does and annoys people with it <laughs> like i find that now after all this time i find that charming and i think he's cool well, I think he's also like one of those 
one of those rare kind of pop culture figures, not quite to the level of Dolly Parton, but it's like no one's mad at Weird no, Al, no. you know? He's just he just is. And I've always just I've kind of found him mildly amusing, but never to the point where I've actually purchased any of his right. albums. Like I like the song UHF and I've still never seen the movie right. UHF. Right. Um but you know, yeah, I, I just I every so often he'll pop up with something like Amish Paradise where you're like, Oh, Weird Al's doing his Weird Al thing and yeah. you know, and then but but like you know, when he's cameos on the Simpsons or something, that's always kind of fun. And um We are a better country for his presence yes. than if he did not exist. Yes. And did you ever hear Trapped in the Drive Through? His Trapped in the yes. Closet? I thought that was actually kind of brilliant. Yes. <laughs> I um so this film, while it didn't make me love those songs anymore right. than, than I ever did, it just it, it 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 reinforced my belief that he's great as a pop culture figure. Yeah. As someone that is just purely fun. And there's so little in the world that is just purely fun True. anymore. Um it seems to me. Maybe it's just the fact that I'm now getting old and everything seems dark and miserable. <laughs> but and, and he's always the fact that he exists is a good thing. And this movie is so dumb and so funny. And and the thing is like he is such a not a rock star in terms of the fact like he's been married to the same woman forever. He is not his life is not extreme in any way. I remember his behind the music. He's a very low key Christian. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. But See, I didn't know that. That's yeah. that's how low you, key he is. Yeah, uh, you know the uh, he did a behind the music years ago, yeah. which was really funny because like there's no there there in terms of like scandal or whatever. Like there was yeah. one like they get to a part where he put out some album that only went gold or something. Yeah, and and he goes and he does this whole like interview where he starts like fake crying. He goes and that year I could only get the medium sized jacuzzi. You know, like he's goofing <laughs> on the idea that he is a rock star, right. quote unquote, yeah. in some way. And so yeah, that that's all that this movie does and just takes it to the limit. Um. Also, there are a million yes. cameos. Try not to read the IMDb page before well, you see it. I went to the IMDb page, and no one's there. So no, that's not no. When is I, that not true? When I watched it, well, everybody was there. Maybe maybe on my phone, I you know maybe they didn't give me everybody. Well, just don't go to the IMDb page. Don't go to the IMDb yeah. page. You want to be surprised because the cameos are fast and furious. There are so many of them, and they all everyone is on the on screen for just a few moments. You're like, oh hey, it's oh hey, oh, oh hey, it's yeah. <laughs> they got a lot of people to just show, show up, up and yeah. goof around for a day. I, because I'll tell you, the modern the 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 current crop of comedians like worships Weird Al. Well, yeah. Like, they grew up listening to that stuff. And, like, he yeah. was he was sort of their, for a lot of them, I think they're kind of gateway into comedy in the first place. Yeah. So, like, you hear people who are in their, like, 30s, 40s talk about Weird Al and this awe that we Paul F. Tompkins have. is one of these cameos. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, 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 remember when, when, remember when. As my, are so a lot of other comedy. Yeah. When yeah. my brother, my brother and me had that show for two seconds on that streamer that no longer exists there was a whole episode built around a weird out cameo yeah you know so it's yeah it's it, we're a little old for that level of of adulation but you know we get the joke sure <laughs> so you're the nut on claire denis and yet somehow last week <laughs> i know we forgot 
We forgot to talk about it. Her new movie. Yeah, sometimes, you know, your brain just yeah doesn't... You're ready to... Sometimes your brain just doesn't brain for right. you. Yeah. Sometimes you get towards the end of the show and you're just ready to snap into a Slim Jim and you just yes. don't finish. A Slim Jim. <laughs> uh, Stars yeah. at Noon. Stars at Noon. Is the name of her uh, new film. It is on Hulu. <laughs> with commercials. With commercials. But not very many. Like, first of all, I was stunned that there, that, were, any. That there were any. Also um, commercials for weird on Roku. <laughs> true. Uh, like, about ten minutes into Stars at Noon, there were commercials, and I was like, commercials in a Claire Denis film? <laughs> what would Isabelle Huppert say? What's happening? Um, and then about at the 30 minute mark, there are more, and then there aren't any for the rest of the film. Yeah. Which is strange. I don't, I don't understand what that means, but anyway, it is, uh, based on, uh, a novel of the same name by Dennis Johnson, who wrote Jesus' Son. Mm. It stars Margaret Qualley and Joe, uh, Alwyn. Alwyn. The book, I believe, was set in the 80s, uh, I think, because I know that, that Dennis Johnson at one time was sort of attempting to be the kind of writer that Margaret Qualley is in the film, like he wanted to be a political reporter. Mm-hmm. Said he became a very successful novelist, which is, I guess... And we can unpack what kind of reporter she actually is. <laughs> well, you know, she's one that's failing. Um, so she's in Nicaragua. She's kind of stuck there. Yeah. And uh, it is it is it is happening now. It is during COVID. We'll get to that in yeah. a minute. And she's not in Nicaragua to write about politics. She's a well, travel she's, writer. She's yeah. She she's a travel writer. But the stories she wants to turn into her editor are always sort of political. And and her editor is like, no, leave me alone. I don't want to work with you anymore. You don't turn in things and your ideas are stupid and go away. To that end, she makes uh, money uh, via sporadic, casual, as she needs to, as she feels like it, sex work. She meets Joe Alwyn in a bar. He says, are you drunk? She says, yeah. <laughs> Want to go back to your room? Like, she does this for money. She does it to steal toilet paper, hotel soaps and shampoos. She's got a hotel room that she can't quite afford to pay for, but it's in a sort of like a, sort of a cheap little kind of rundown place. There's someone sort of after Joe Alwyn, also after her. We never quite know why. Joe Alwyn says he works for an oil company, but we don't know if that's true. We don't know why Margaret Qualley can't seem to leave to gather up enough money to get to Costa Rica, which is, you know, not a 
a leg up, really, in terms of getting herself back out of and there, there, you know, there seems to be a some trapped, of, stuck situation. There seems to be some issue of can she even leave? Yeah. Are her papers in order? Probably not. She's a mess. Yeah. She's a mess, but she's a slow mess. <laughs> yes. Like, she's not a hot mess. <laughs> she's the kind of mess that Claire Denis really likes to sit down and look at and explore. Um, a Claire Denis film, particularly one like this, is very frequently set in a place that has been picked dry by corporations, invading governments, imperial forces, all manner of colonization. Yeah. Political and economic. The United States, very famously, uh, in the Ronald Reagan years, intervened in Nicaragua to destabilize their government. If you don't know about this, just Google it. Yes. The um, And the U.S.'s general history of interference in Central America goes back centuries. Central and South America is, is, is a... Is a is a favored uh, punching bag and stomping uh, ground, and yeah, literal stomping ground for the United States. Um, so, all right, I'm going to refer back to Beautreville here. Bear with me, Alonzo Duralde. Okay. Claire Denis takes characters, white material, same ish, yes. sort of. Uh, overall situation here. People who shouldn't be in a place are in a place. <laughs> okay. So very much like in Beautreville, you've got an ineffectual French foreign legion hanging out in Northern Africa, going through the, the exercises of war preparation. Here you've got two people who are hanging out in Nicaragua. They're kind of being chased, but they're uh, when I say they're both slow messes cuz he's one too. They're being chased slowly. Like they're, yeah. they're like, not, there are moments where even... maybe they're in danger, but no one's really sure <laughs> and they get away from whatever it is without all that much difficulty. So there's not political intrigue going on here. No. There's not uh uh, there's not even erotic intrigue going on here, even though they are two adults who really like to have sex with each other. And yes. there's a lot of that yes. in the film. Um, it's about people who are enacting empty rituals and spinning their wheels in a place, in a place that might be very dangerous for them. And they probably ought to leave as soon as they can. And if they move more slowly than than you think they should, that's because Claire Denis likes to watch them move as slowly as she wants to let them move. I love Claire Denis. I love her films. And I love that she points her camera at sort of the dissolute and the meandering and the people who are maybe not even the first wave of interlopers, 
But they're interlopers all the same. Sure. Even and, if they're sweeping up. And they, yeah, they're picking at the carcass of what more powerful people left behind. Um, but so much of her work, and I'm not talking about films like, you know, let's say Friday Night or 35 Drops of Rum, shots. which are 35, 35 Shots of Rum, which are more kind. I guess mm. that's the word. Compassionate to the characters. Yeah. Here, she's an observer of her characters. Insects under a pin. And she wants, I think she wants at least survival for them. Yeah. But she's not going to do anything to make that happen. <laughs> no, <them>. stop, don't. <laughs> so... um I've always, we've talked about Claire Denis films so often over the course of the 12 years we've been doing this podcast. And I divide her films into the the sweet ones and the, the really not sweet ones, yeah. like Bastards and uh, the, the, the Intruder. The one. High Life, yeah. uh, The Intruder, like my all-time <laughs> favorite. Um, films, people who are stuck or on the run or in a place they shouldn't be and they're in trouble I really want you to watch I'm going to say this again and I say it every time we watch one of her more dark brooding moody films which mm -hmm. is definitely what this is I really want you to watch 35 Shots of Run because you'll feel good <laughs> while you watch it I find um, this very hard. To it is about a family that loves each other. Because I even and watched Let the Sunshine In, which is one of the less bummery ones. And even that one's just kind of like, <laughs> the lethargy is overwhelming. <laughs> See, and I don't, find, I don't find her films lethargic. I find them moody. Mm. And I love her moodiness. Okay. So... I... The people are aimless. The film is not. Sure. That's what I'm saying about I, Stars yeah, at I, Noon. I the people don't know where they're supposed to go. They don't know how to get there. They want to. They want to hang out and do some more sex for a while and get drunk. I guess for a while. Her her portraits of lethargy. I should. But say. they. The film. About their lethargy mm -hmm. is not lethargic. It is precise, and it is slow and occasionally you know loose about things like narrative but honestly who gives a damn about narrative anyway it's not important <laughs> it's bourgeois um on my scale of claire denis i would say i liked this more than botrevi but not as much as white material I think Joe Alwyn is perfectly cast here because he is just a glass of milk. Yeah, he is her cure delay. In a white suit. Just this object that you can like project anything onto. Yeah. And and that's a that's a cool kind of character. And if you're the kind of actor who can do that and not feel like a blank while mm -hmm. you're doing it, which he pulls off. How would Harry Styles have been in this role? Too charming. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's the he wouldn't be able to dial it back enough. Too charming. Yeah. He's too charming. Yeah. 
you know, this is, can I just rag on my policeman? Just a minute? No, I won't. I, just, I will. We, we've I said what needs to be. I said. won't complain about it anymore. <laughs> um. So yeah, the latest from Claire Denis. Stars at noon. On and uh, this is her second film to come out in the United States in 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 a year. Yeah. What a what a what a rich year for cinema for us. You, we, 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 the Claire Denis lovers of the mm, world. I'm happy you're happy. I'm happy that I'm happy too. Uh, so yeah, hey, we have a Patreon, you guys. If you want to hear more of this kind of scintillating conversation <laughs> at patreon.com slash linoleum knife yeah. uh, for as little as a dollar a month, uh, you get extra content. We do uh, Linoleum Knife Presents More Linoleum Knife, where we'll go in deep on individual film titles. Uh, LKTV, a podcast of the television. Linoleum Knife and Fork, a food podcast hosted by two film critics. This week I want to talk about the gravy that I already made. Yeah. The stuffing that I'm making he, tomorrow. Dave White's Thanksgiving game is on point. It's all getting frozen. <laughs> Everything is being made ahead. Everything is being frozen. I don't have the legs under me to spend... All Wednesday and all Thursday. Dancing around the kitchen. In the kitchen. I'll be exhausted and I want to kick the fewer than a handful of people coming over for dinner. Yes. I want to kick them out by the time it's time to sit down to eat if I do it like that. So I'm doing it a little bit at a time. And these are the things we discuss on Linoleum Knife and Fork. Yes. in much greater detail. Uh, Linoleum Nights, where we talk about whatever we want to, however we want to, and lots of other cool stuff. So, yeah, patreon.com slash linoleum knife. Check it out. And we have some letters. Yeah. Yeah. Where are they? Where are those letters? Yeah. Hey, I got some letters. You got some They're letters in the right place here. where the letters go. Benjamin. Says this conversation about Till. Hmm. It makes me think of uh, being a child in New Jersey in the 80s and how embedded recent history had been whitewashed and then turned into awful sitcoms like Different Strokes and Webster. <laughs> yeah, uh, we were talking about the idea you're of growing, not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, growing up in the 70s and 80s where pop culture just sort of made you think that, oh, American racism is a thing of the past and we're all one big happy rainbow coalition family now. Yeah. Uh, Timothy. Hey guys, I'm curious about your home entertainment setup. Given that you have neighbors and live in an apartment, I imagine you can't go too crazy with the audio equipment. So, a sound bar? Subwoofer? Do you use only the television's speakers? Yes. Uh, yes, we use only the television's speakers, and the television is plenty loud. Um, people who live in very old apartments with thin walls who go crazy with their audio equipment are a-holes. Yes. Because believe me, when our neighbors play like the EDM, we hear every oomph of it. Yeah. I mean, and then we do a little dance together in the yes. living room. You will never see that, not even on Patreon. No. I'm just here to tell you. That is a personal, private, boogie-down production. Yeah. Um, furthermore, what size television do you have? I don't know. Big, 46, I think. Big enough. It's not giant. Yeah. It's just I, a regular I, I, I TV. I seem to recall when I was shopping for it, you, you said we can have 46 inches and no larger. Well, I didn't want it to overwhelm the living room. I don't sure. like, here's the other thing I don't like. I don't like a gigantic television in a small living room. Yeah. And we live in a... 1950s apartment. We live in a spacious 
two-bedroom apartment for 1951 or whenever this building was, you know, erected. Yes. So there is, you know, uh, a, a proportion situation that I want to maintain. And I don't want a giant television. So we've got a medium-sized, This was a living room designed for, for a 10-inch Philco in the corner. You know? <laughs> exactly. Do you have a Blu-ray player? Yes, we have a region-free Blu-ray player. We do have a region-free Blu-ray player so we can watch anything. Yeah, and Uh, we have a combo DVD-VCR. Right. The VCR also has, uh, sorry, the DVD player also has a VHS capacity. Yes. And so that's very good for us because we have a closet uh, shelf of VHS tapes that... To this day. To this day, things that have never been made available on any other format. So... um, so we do not have a 4K no. Blu-ray player, and I don't see the point, honestly. Uh, given that we're not going to have a much bigger TV, no. But, but yeah, it, it, I have to admit, like, you know, when they start putting things like, you know, Real Genius in 1776 and It's a Wonderful Life on 4K, I'm like, oh, that would be nice. But is, the yeah, TV, is our TV 4K? Nope. So we would need a new TV. Uh, and a special player. And a special player. Yeah. I know. It's a whole Can a 4K thing. play a regular Blu-ray? Uh, yes. I think in the same way that a Blu-ray player can play DVD. Like. But can a Blu-ray play a 4K? No. No. So this is how they get you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. He continues, you receive screeners frequently and refer to them broadly as DVDs because that's what they are. <laughs> uh, but I wonder whether they are just that or are actual Blu-rays or even higher resolution. No, they are DVDs. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. we're talking about screeners that we get from studios for movies that are coming out or year-end award screeners, those are just flat-out DVDs. Because they have to send those to everybody. Yeah. And everybody includes really old voting members of academies. <laughs> academy, yeah. And if you think that we are behind the times technologically, <laughs> you ain't met these 85-year-olds who aren't going to stream a thing. New. Yeah. He continues, I imagine distributors and publicists want you to have the highest resolution content for you to review. Perhaps I'm being naive. <laughs> you are. So yeah, that's that's what's up. Yeah. That's our setup. Daniel. Don't get me started with the grappling I did last night of trying to watch an advanced screener or something and it not the the site being completely inaccessible and annoying and uh, anyway, go on. Daniel says, what else? Strobe we A. Dave explains okay, that Okay, you're, you're reading these in the wrong order. I am? Yes. Oh, wait. That's why I put first, second, and third. It was a comment thread okay, on well, Patreon you, page. Okay, you're going to have to pause the recording because I can't okay. figure out what you're talking One about here. Yeah. Okay, we're back. You sent me emails in a very particular order, and I didn't realize that. Yes. All right, here we go. Christopher says, my favorite recurring segment on this program is, I will need you to pause this recording. Well, (laughs) it just happened. You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, The second one. Jesse says, I sincerely wish someone would make an LK bingo card and include this amongst Alonzo drops an MST3K reference and Dave jokingly seriously tells Alonzo to do everything he tells Alonzo to do. (laughs) And then Daniel says, what else? Strobe we a. 
Dave explains that he has no memory of superhero movies after watching them. Flavour, which is actually <laughs> from L.K. Luna, Lame Knife and Fork. Uh, Dave is so punk. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not punk anymore. I was only punk in the 80s. I guess you were punk once. A little bit in the 90s. But then I stopped. I, I, it became uh, too much work. <laughs> I mean, it's embedded in my personality now. Sure. I guess you could say. Can you imagine being like 95 years old in a nursing home and be like, let me tell you about the time I saw suicidal tendencies. <laughs> I think that we haven't quite gotten to that wave of like retirement home people yet, but we're, we're clearly we're getting there. It's right? going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen. Look you know, out. You roll on into dinner time wearing your My War t-shirt. <laughs> Holiday in Cambodia. Yeah, like... This is coming. Oh, yeah. This is the future liberals want. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is our episode. Um, Yeah. Go over to the wrap and check out Dave's review of the Salvatore Ferragamo doc. Salvatore, shoemaker of dreams. You can also also read uh, my monthly uh, November uh, physical media column talking about Blu-rays and DVDs and read my reviews of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever and Spirited, both of which we will be getting to in the coming weeks uh, when Dave catches up and um, yeah, you know, check out, uh, check out all of our, our friends on the internet and uh, go listen to the other shows that I co-host, including maximum film on the maximum fun network breakfast all day with Christy Lemire over on YouTube and as a podcast and uh, the deck, the hallmark podcast where I'm popping in once a week during the season for deck, the Netflix where we'll be reviewing Netflix shows, Netflix Christmas movies, but also stuff like Spirited and, you know, maybe some things from some other networks as well that are not Hallmark or Lifetime. So enjoy that. Uh, Have a good week, everybody. We will be back next time with more. Until then, goodbye.